This is the Remnant Warrior, and you are now listening to Return of the Historic Faith on the Next Chapter Radio Network. You are now listening to the last day's Return of the Historic Faith with your host, Pastor Jeremy Anderson and Brother Matthew Marcel. This podcast is for the kingdom Christian in the end times. As aliens in a foreign land and ambassadors of our king, we proudly fly the flag with the cross as we sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, and welcome to this special live stream edition. I'm trying to get this uh, camera straight, but we are having uh, a special live stream edition of Return of the Historic Faith. Um, Tonight, however, although we are doing a special live stream, it will not be me and brother Matthew Marcel I will uh, be doing tonight's episode by myself but that's quite all right we are going to be talking about something that I um, I know a fair amount about and uh, usually I um, definitely need Matthew there to uh, back me up and help me when um, I truly just don't know, uh, everything about a subject that we're talking about. And I don't know everything about this subject, but I do know enough to, um, to do the episode. And so we're going to, uh, we're going to do our best tonight. Brother Matthew's not able to be with us because, praise God, his, um, his little Bubba, the the baby that his wife and he um, have, they have a little foster son and he's been in the hospital, very, very sick, but praise God, he came home from the hospital um, just a little while ago and uh, Brother Matthew hasn't seen his wife or the baby since he went in the hospital because of him having to work in the visiting hours and rules at the hospital, so um, he's with his family tonight, and hopefully he is able to watch to uh, make sure that I don't completely mess up too bad. But tonight we're going to be talking about the spirit of early Christianity um, and the the way that. The early Christians were exactly the way the Bible in the New Testament, the way Jesus and the apostles tell us to live, set apart from the world. Now, I feel like um, for those of you who aren't familiar with Return of the Historic Faith or if you aren't familiar with the um, 
kingdom concepts episodes that I did on the Remnant Report or the many times I talked about the anti-Nicene fathers uh, on the Remnant Report, then I feel like I need to tell you that when I say the early church, anytime I uh, use the term the early Christians or the early church uh, tonight or anytime, I'm talking about the anti-Nicene Christians, the Christians who lived for the first 300 years of Christianity before Constantine and the Roman Catholic Church. Um, they literally were kingdom Christians. They were set apart and they followed the teachings of Jesus Christ from the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of the apostles and that is the historic faith you know this this program's called return of the historic faith um, we actually shortened the title it, it, the original name was last days return of the historic faith because you know we believe wholeheartedly that the same way the apostles now we know that although we are not cessationist in any way, um, we do recognize that God had a, he had, for lack of a better way to put it, a point to prove and something to show people to start the church. And what I mean by that is the apostles had, uh, they didn't have the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit the way that Jesus did, but you could say that, I mean, you could definitely argue that they may have, or at the very least, um, a very close uh indwelling uh, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit because they also just like Jesus did they healed the sick rose people from the dead they did Jesus said that he told them that they would do greater works than he did and so you know in that respect it can be argued that the apostles had the full indwelling of the Holy Spirit but in any case, whether you think they did or they didn't, um, they certainly had more power to uh, perform miracles than any uh, followers of Christ after the apostles. Now, we still saw a completely different amount of Holy Spirit power in the second and third century church especially the second century but it was nothing like the church in the, the time period of Acts in the first century with the apostles but when I talk about the last day's return I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in the 
two witnesses. Now, we're not going to get into the two witnesses, but I have done an episode on the two witnesses, and you can go back and check that out. It's up here on YouTube as well as uh, on the podcast, but I, I, I only bring up the two witnesses to show a parallel between the apostles and their power of the Holy Spirit to be able to work the miracles they did and the two witnesses and how they had such a indwelling of the Holy Spirit that they were able to do the things the apostles did, but they were also able to do the things that the Old Testament prophets did, calling fire down from heaven, um, causing it not to rain on the earth. Uh, you know, they were able to do everything that the apostles and the prophets, or they will be able to do everything that the apostles and Old Testament prophets did. Now, um, so that's why I compare the power of the Holy Spirit in the uh, early church, being the, the Church of Acts, the very first Christians, the apostles, with the very last Christians, and the last um, the the beginning of the new covenant age and the end of the age of the fallen world period because we see this taking place in the tribulation in the the really the time just before Christ comes back to judge this world and before the wrath of God is poured out on this world. So it is literally the, this is the power of the Holy Spirit that the church is going to have, that the the remnant, the tribulation saints are going to have in the tribulation Um, and the reason they're going to have this is because they have a testimony to give they 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 are to prophesy for a certain amount of time Uh, I don't want to get I don't want to get off on too much more of a rabbit trail I'm just trying to explain to you where the name comes from the last days return of the historic faith the last days return of the Holy Spirit the last days return of the power in the church of the Holy Spirit that that is all of the aspects of the name of the podcast podcast itself is about the historic faith and the way that for Christ to come back the Bible is clear the gospel of the kingdom not the gospel of dispensationalism or the gospel of Calvinism or the gospel of Lutheranism or the gospel of Protestantism or any other gospel, you fill in the blank. Jesus is clear. The gospel of the kingdom that he taught and preached and that the disciples and apostles 
taught and preached. The same gospel that Paul shared with the Galatians um, when he said that if anyone uh, give or share any uh, teach you any other gospel but the gospel that you have heard from us let him be accursed. That same gospel that Paul uh, gave and shared with the Galatian church is the same gospel that Jesus taught, which is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the gospel of the historic faith. And in the return of the historic faith, and I'm not talking about the podcast when I say that, in the returning of the historic faith in this last day and age, we will see the gospel of the kingdom being preached finally after a because it was preached unto the the world the known world of the the first 300 years after christ the gospel of the kingdom was preached to all parts of the known world but then what happened i'll tell you what happened the uh hybrid uh, Roman Catholic religion came in that tried to merge the two kingdoms. And of course you can't mix the two kingdoms, but because they tried, the gospel that was taught and preached by the church from the time of you know uh, Constantine and the Roman Catholic Church all the way down even with the uh, Protestant Reformation nothing, nothing changed as far as the gospel concerned with the Reformation it didn't go back to the gospel of the kingdom in fact it, it, it was the opposite now there definitely were kingdom Christian movements who were uh, teaching the gospel of the kingdom they were making disciples baptizing uh, all nations and teaching them all the things that Christ taught the apostles just like the word of God says but they were also doing what Matthew 24 says the gospel of the kingdom they were sharing the gospel of the kingdom to all nations for a witness again now that the historic faith has come back and it has. There are still many, many, many denominational churches and many, many, many. Okay, sorry, guys. I just had to make sure my mic was on. Many, many, many um, uh, non-denominational churches. For the most part, the Western church does not uh, teach the gospel of the kingdom. However, there are churches um, and Places like many Anabaptist churches who preach the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, we at Kingdom Christian Assembly teach the gospel of the kingdom. Um, the uh, Omega Frequency uh, with BDK and Phil Baker, they teach the gospel of the kingdom. There, I could go on and on because I know quite a few Kingdom Christians. So there are people who have returned to the historic faith and are sharing the gospel of the kingdom with the world for that witness 
and only when the gospel of the kingdom has been spread to all nations, then and only then will Jesus return. So with that in mind, um, we are going to, I mean, that's, I know that I kind of got off on what may have seemed like a rabbit trail, um, but it really isn't because what we're talking about tonight with the spirit of early Christianity, it is literally, literally the gospel of the kingdom was in early Christianity. So when we talk about the spirit of early Christianity, we're going to be talking about the gospel of the kingdom. So I didn't get off on too much of a rabbit trail, but um, I want to start off by telling you guys that there, um, when I first started this uh, whole, when I first started looking at the Antinicene fathers and reading the uh, the writings of the disciples of the apostles, and I started taking the uh, Settler College and Scroll Publishing uh, Christian courses on thehistoricfaith.com and started uh, listening to uh, David Berceau. I um, I wanted to do everything. When I say I wanted to do everything that the uh, early church did, I mean everything. And Although the name of the podcast is Return of the Historic Faith, and we at um, Kingdom Christian Assembly pride ourselves on following the historic faith, we aren't doing what I was doing, say, this time last year when I first started this, uh, on this path to where I'm at now and where I, I've been um, for quite a while now, at least six, eight months or so, I've uh, been you know, building this, uh, this platform of the website and the podcast and Mary and James and Matthew and myself have, you know, we've put together the model for the church. Um, You know, since I've been doing that, it's been about six, eight months, something like that. And before then, what I was trying to do was I was focusing on the, I was wanting to worship and hold the same doctrines and model the church government all just like the early Christians. I wanted to worship like the early Christians. I wanted to make sure we had the same doctrines as the early Christians, model our church government after their church government. And I thought that 
if we did all those things, that we would end up with the same devotion and relationship with Jesus Christ that they had. However, I have come to see through things that have happened with others like for instance David Berceau um, talks about almost the exact same thing that I just said about when I first started I wanted to model everything after the early church well that's where he was at when he first started um, I say first started when he um uh, first started wanting to get back to the historic faith he said that um, you know it was like 15 years went by I want to say he said that um, 15 years prior to when he was saying this everything that I said tonight that's what he wanted and then he looked back time 15 years later and uh, that he saw that over the past over those 15 years that God showed him that replicating everything about the early church was not going to lead to the same faith and devotion that the early Christians had and through listening to his testimony on that as well as things that I have learned for myself and things that the Holy Spirit has shown me in the scriptures more than anywhere I've seen quite a few amazing things in the Anti-Nicene Fathers but if you want to um, come to the same doctrines and beliefs as the early church from uh, the Church of Acts all the way down through the, the first 300 years of Christianity, all you have to do is take every passage of Scripture in the New Testament and uh, interpret it as as literally as you can to stick to the the authenticity of the text the way it was meant you know if it was a parable then uh, take the meaning of the parable literally Uh, but other than that take the words of Christ and the teachings of the apostles literally and apply them in a literal way to your life and your walk with Christ while you follow Christ and you will come up with the same doctrines and beliefs that the early church held. But tonight I want to uh, I want to point something out here and that is instead of trying to model 
our churches and our lives after the early Christian churches like to hold their same doctrines and to uh, model our church governments after their church governments and worship the same as they did do baptism the same as they did you know hold communion the same as they did all of that instead of focusing on doing that we should do the same thing that they did with the word of God and with the teachings of Jesus Christ which we need to have the same the same relationship with Christ at, that the early Christians did and the way to do that is first to find out what made the um, early Christians so special and that that's simple what made them so special and have such a close relationship with Christ and such a true, earnest, honest faith was their obedient, love, faith relationship. And the way they came to their obedient, love, faith relationship was by focusing on the kingdom of God and the king of that kingdom who is Jesus Christ and his father if we do that if we do exactly what Jesus says for us to do in Matthew chapter 6 uh, verse 33 sums up the whole chapter it says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you so if we do that if we seek kingdom of God in all things and the righteousness of God in all things then we will have that obedient love faith relationship with Jesus Christ now there is an enormous amount that we can certainly learn from the early Christians and again when I talk about the early Christians, I'm talking about the Christians from the first 300 years of the faith. Now, there's never ever been a period since the second century when the entire church, the universal church was on fire for Christ, so on fire for Christ, the way it was in the second century and also when the vast majority of Christians were kingdom Christians and if you don't know what a kingdom Christian is instead of me taking the time to tell you right now I want you to go back to the podcast which can be found on uh, you can you can find it uh, from just by going to my Facebook page and scrolling and you'll find it. But it's it's on Pop, uh, Spotify 
and almost every podcast platform there is, it's last days, oh no, excuse me, it's return of the historic faith. Go back, find episode one. What is a kingdom Christian? So, kingdom Christianity is... The, what the vast majority of the second century Christians were. All of the second century Christians were kingdom Christians. That means that they lived as citizens of another kingdom, the kingdom of God, other than the particular part of the world that they lived in. They were truly aliens in a foreign land. They were truly pilgrims and strangers here on this earth. See, friends, Jesus and the apostles taught two ways and two kingdoms. The two ways were the way that leads to life and the way that leads to death. Now, that's, of course, talking about spiritual life and spiritual death. The two kingdoms were that there is only two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of this world, which is also the kingdom of darkness, and every country and government, no matter where it's found on this earth, is a part of the kingdom of the world, and therefore under the authority of the evil one. And then there's also the kingdom of God, who is under the authority of its king, Jesus Christ. Now, tonight we are going to be looking at seven characteristics of early Christianity. Characteristics that you and I can learn from and apply them to our walk with Christ and our Christianity. Now, these seven things are what gave primitive Christianity, and primitive just means, you know, early Christianity, its special spirit. And when I use the word spirit here, I'm, um, I'm, not, I'm not talking about, you know, this in uh, an occult sense of the word, I'm using it as you'll understand. Just continue to listen and give me the benefit of the doubt until I can explain it. It actually comes from the Greek word, uh, you know, ethos, which means spirit. But um, we're going to look at these seven things. And the, the first one is a Christianity that emphasized lifestyle lifestyle over doctrine or theology this is perhaps the single largest difference between the early Christian church and the type of Christianity that has existed since the time of Constantine um the word 
Christianity is something that is applied to so many different groups of different religions, basically. But Christianity is applied to so many different groups of people today. Anybody who falls into the category of the Catholic Church, the Protestant Church, um, any of the uh, thousands of denominations in the denominational church, um, the uh, evangelical uh, Christian churches, also those who fall in the category of Christianity in this day and age are the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, and many others. But the Christianity of the second century was truly a it had a different meaning because it meant followers of Christ. The the followers of Christ. It was a word that was used. Uh, we find it in the book of Acts. It, it says that Antioch. At, 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 I want to say Antioch. I could be wrong, but I think it says that that was where they were first called Christians at Antioch. Um, I'm almost positive, but I could be wrong. Um, Feel free to let me know in the chat. But anyhow, the um, Christianity just explains the who the it represents the followers of Jesus Christ in the first three hundred years of the church. However, uh, Christianity the the word came to mean something completely different after Constantine. And from the time of Constantine all the way down to today, Christianity does not mean the same thing. That's one of the reasons why I want to get back to the historic faith. Not by uh, modeling our lives after their lives, but by obeying the word of God and teachings of Jesus Christ the way they did and seeking the kingdom of God first. And I also want to explain to you what I mean when I say doctrine because you know they, uh, they emphasize lifestyle over doctrine. Uh, doctrine, of course doesn't mean the same thing today as it, it did back then either. Their doctrinal beliefs their, were boiled down to their statement of faith. And, you know, their statement of faith was the Apostles' Creed. You know, it didn't go beyond that. They're, they're, they didn't have the focus of... The folk, Christians' focus didn't turn from relationship and lifestyle to doctrine or theology until really, um, you know, the 
probably the time of Augustine. You know, uh, Augustine was probably the first theologian. Some people can say Origen, and, and maybe Origen could be considered a theologian. I wouldn't call him a theologian. I know um, when Brother uh, uh, Brother Phil Baker from Reclaiming the Faith and I were talking about this one time, and um, you know he has a different perspective on that but I think that even brother Phil would will will agree with me on what I am going to be talking about tonight as far as um, the early church and up until Constantine and the Roman Catholics and there uh, after that the um, the theologians and the uh, church leaders, Doctrine and theology took on a different meaning. It didn't mean the same thing as it did in the early church. The doctrine of the early church was simple. The doctrine of Christ. They followed the teachings of Jesus Christ. I think the Didache, uh, which is arguably the earliest Christian document that we have, sums up the theology or the doctrines of the early church perfectly. And, you know, the, the uh, same cannot be said of the church for the time of Constantine all the way to the day, all the way down to today. Um, lifestyle and um, relationship took a back seat to theology you know uh, Christianity changed from something that you walked out and lived to being summed up in a group of doctrinal statements or catechisms or you know theological beliefs and belief systems and you know that, that it goes back to believing only and believing and following because we're commanded in scripture to believe on the name Jesus Christ believe that he is the son of God and that he rose from the dead but also to follow him. Jesus says that if we love him, we will follow him. We will abide in him. So, um, again, in speaking about early Christianity, tonight we will be looking primarily at the church of the second century. Um, of course, these same characteristics definitely apply to the church of the first century. Uh, you know, but for the most part, the, the quotes and the church doctrines and um, actions that we're going to be looking at tonight, talking about tonight, the spirit of early Christianity, we're going to actually be looking at the um, church of the second century. Now, when the church was young, Christianity was something that you lived. 
It was something that you lived out. It was a lifestyle. In contrast, after the Council of Nicaea and the period of Constantine, Christianity was primarily something that you believed. Being a Christian meant that you gave uh, mental or at least verbal assent to a certain creed or set of doctrines. Um, When post-Nicene Christians wanted to explain Christianity to pagans, now I said post-Nicene Christians, this means after Constantine and the Council of Nicaea, when they wanted to explain Christianity to the pagans, they generally pointed to a set of doctrines, of beliefs. In contrast, the Christians of the second century They pointed to the Sermon on the Mount when trying to explain Christianity to the pagans. Justin Martyr, who lived in the second century and was one of the anti-Nicene writers, one of the anti-Nicene church writers, leaders, and martyrs, He said this uh, about the year 160. He said, give me just a second. Uh, Thought I had it ready. I don't, but I do now. Okay. (laughs) All right. Justin Martyr summed it up nicely here about the year 160. When he said, let it be understood that those who are not found living as he taught are not Christians, even though they profess with the lips the teachings of Christ. End quote. That's a bold statement, but it is a completely accurate and true statement. Now, In the early 2nd century, a a writer gave this description of Christians in his day. He says, um, now, this is is just a writer, so uh, just listen to the quote and then we'll we'll talk about it. Uh, Their women, O king, are pure as virgins, and their daughters are modest. Their men keep themselves from every unlawful union and from all uncleanness and the hope of a reward in the world to come. Furthermore, if any of them have male or female slaves or children, out of love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. When they have done so, they then call them brothers without any distinction. They do not worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. They do not turn away their care from widows, and they deliver the orphan from anyone who treats him harshly. He who has gives to him who has not, and this is done without boasting. When they see a stranger, they take him into their homes, 
and they rejoice over him as a brother. For they do not call themselves brothers after the flesh, but brothers after the Spirit and in God. Whenever one of the poor among them passes from this world, each one of them gives heed to him according to his ability and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted because of the name of their Christ, all of them carefully attend to his needs. If it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. If there are any poor and needy among them, but they have no spare food to give, then they fast for two or three days in order to supply the necessary food to the needy. They follow the commandments of their Christ with much care, living justly and seriously, just as their God commanded them. Every morning and every hour they give thanks and praise to their God for his loving kindness to them. They give thanksgiving to him for their food and their drink. If any righteous man among them passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God. They escort his body as if he were setting out from one place to go to another nearby. And when a child has been born to any of them, they give thanks to God. End quote. Now, this was written in the year 125, early in the 2nd century, by a writer by the name of Aristides. Now, Aristides was not a Christian. He was a uh, pagan, a, a, a someone from the world. He was describing the Christians. I tell you what, um, if... A non-believer today was asked to give an account of Christianity to, uh, say, a, a Muslim ruler, say, one of the uh, one of the uh, kings or whatever they call the rulers in the different countries over there, if they uh, described the Christians, not of Iran or Iraq, because I would dare say that they would give close to the same description. Even in Imperial China, um, well, I guess it's not Imperial China anymore, but um, even in China, the, um, the church is very, very close to the second century church. So I'm talking about if they were describing the American church, would we get the same uh, raving endorsement that the second century Christians got from Aristides to uh, the emperor? don't think we would. Now, Christianity affected every facet of a person's life in the second century. Again, it was literally a lifestyle. 
it was not just a worldview or a belief system. It affected everything they did. Uh, Clement of Alexandria said this at, uh, in the, around the year 195, towards the end of the second century. He says, um, quote, holding festival in our whole life, persuaded that God is present everywhere, we cultivate our fields praising. We sail the sea hymning. In all the rest of our life, we conduct ourselves according to discipline, end quote. Now, Clement of Alexandria, here's another quote from him um, from the same time, uh, really from close to the, the same uh, area of the uh, Antinicene Fathers in uh, volume to, uh, he says, he who sells or buys should not name two prices for what he buys or sells. Rather, he should state the net price and endeavor to speak the truth, end quote. And another of the early church writers who lived in the second century the same time as Clement of Alexandria was Tertullian. And Tertullian says this, he said, quote, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. They say, see how they love one another? And they are angry with us, too, because we call each other brothers. End quote. That was written, that was Tertullian in uh, 197. Now, the fact that the early Christians emphasized lifestyle over theology was because they, they maintained an obedient love-faith relationship with Jesus Christ. When a person is close to Jesus Christ, that person is not drawn to theology. He's drawn to a way of life, a life of love, a life that is modeled after the teachings of Christ. The things that are important to Jesus become important to him. So, let me ask you, how often did Jesus talk about theology? How often did, D did Jesus emphasize uh, having the correct doctrinal beliefs or theology? preach theology to the crowds? Um, how much theology do we actually find in the Sermon on the Mount? And I don't mean um, can we find any doctrines to live by in the Sermon on the Mount. That's not what I mean. What I mean is did Jesus preach that we should have the correct doctrines in the Sermon on the Mount? 
or did he preach that um, you know the different things from the Sermon on the Mount how we should treat others and how we should follow his commandments and abide in him as the vine and produce fruit all of the different things that are written in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 Sermon on the Mount uh, also you go to Matthew chapter 25 and read about the criteria Jesus will use to separate the sheep from the goats I mean does he say one thing at all about the theology of a person deciding whether he's a sheep or a goat no he talks about their lifestyle their lifestyle I hear Bible commentators and theologians and of course so called biblical scholars talk about uh, Pauline theology which would be the uh, theology the Christian theology according to Paul um, is sometimes uh, also they talk occasionally I've heard them talk about uh, other forms of theology that we are to have um, other doctrinal systems other than Pauline theology um, there's Quite a few, um, you know. I could name many, many that the scholars and the so-called scholars, that is, and the theologians and the um, commentators say that believers should follow, that we should live by. But there's not even a word for Jesus theology among the scholars. Now, you guys have heard me talk about Jesus theology many times. It's called the doctrine of Christ. I harp on the doctrine of Christ. And that is one thing that the Holy Spirit revealed to me long before, long before I found the historic faith of the uh, anti-Nicene church. Um, you, you go back, I've done, you know, you can go all the way back to 2019, um, maybe 2018, and you'll find uh, episodes of the Remnant Report or Serpents and Doves Radio on the Doctrine of Christ. And you can certainly go back farther than that and find sermons I taught, or excuse me, sermons I preached on the doctrine of Christ. 
because that is the Jesus theology. It's the doctrine of Christ. And the early church, I mean, they knew nothing but the doctrine of Christ. They didn't know anything about appalling theology or um, any of the other different uh, brands of theology that the so-called Bible scholars and commentators uh, bring up and talk about. Uh, and when I say that the early Christians, the second century Christians, when they lived their Christianity, when they lived the doctrine of Christ, this means that among other things, their Christianity is what set them apart from the world. That's what it means. Their Christianity was how they lived. And their lifestyle is what set them apart from the world. It's also what sets them apart from the Christians who have lived from the time of Constantine all the way down through history. The early church, by following the commands of Christ and having a love, an obedient love-faith relationship with Jesus, they were set apart from the world of their time and set apart from the world and the quote-unquote church of our time. Luckily for us, we can also be set apart from the world and have the same faith that they had, the same relationship with Christ they had, not by um, modeling our lives and our Christianity around their Christianity, but by making our Christianity, the Christianity that we have, by making it about a love-faith relationship with Christ, making it a lifestyle instead of a set of doctrinal beliefs. Even among those who I consider evangelical Christians, and there are you know, there are some in who we, and when I say we, I'm talking about the church as a whole, we see the evangelicals as being set apart from, say, the, um, the word of faith Christians. And I use the word Christians very loosely there. But we see them set apart from other uh, groups and sects in the scope of what the world considers Christianity. But even with evangelicals being set apart, 
evangelicals do not follow the doctrine of the two kingdoms. And the doctrine of the two kingdoms is based upon the teachings of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is the doctrine of Christ. And we have to follow the doctrine of Christ. We have to live these things. We have to literally mold our lives to fit the teachings of Jesus Christ so that we do the things that he did. We say the things that he said. We do the things he commanded. It has to be a complete lifestyle. That's what it means to walk out your salvation. We're told to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Well, guess what? You can't work out doctrine. You can't work out theology. To work something out, you have to do it. The book of James is a wonderful place to go to see an obedient love-faith relationship with Jesus Christ. How we can have an obedient love-faith relationship with Jesus Christ. The book of James says, Faith without works is dead. It says that we can show our faith. The faith is um, you know, what we are supposed to have in order to be saved. Faith in Jesus Christ. Well, if you have faith in something, that means you believe in it. If you believe in it, then that means you're going to be obedient to it. You're going to um, make it a part of your life. If you believe in something, if you're someone who believes in whatever, fill in the blank, then you're going to make the thing that you believe in the focus of your life and the way you live. You are going to um, you are going to model your lifestyle around the thing in which you believe. That is the takeaway from verses like um, Romans 10, 9 or 9, 10. Um, I'm going to have to uh, open up my Bible so that I can see exactly the verse I'm looking for. But it's the verse that says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Well, if you do that, the takeaway from that is if you confess that and believe that, then it will be something that you live by. You're not going to confess Jesus Christ and believe with all your heart that he literally is the son of God who rose from the grave and not obey him. 
and not follow his teachings. So, I want to read just a couple of more quotes, and then um, I'm going to uh, stop, and I'm going to take some questions and answers depending I'm going to answer some questions depending on how many people um, are in the chat because we're on YouTube and Facebook but Tertullian said this uh, in 197 he said even among those who are not of his religion the Christian is noted for his fidelity so in other words Going back to the uh, the quote from Aristides, it goes right along with what Tertullian said. Even among those who are not Christians, the Christian is noted for his fidelity. Tertullian also said this, quote, You are accustomed in conversation yourselves to say in your disagreement of us why is so and so deceitful when the Christians are so self-denying why he is merciless when they are so merciful you thus bear your testimony to the fact that this is not the character of Christians for you ask in the way of a retort how men who are reputed to be Christians can be of such and such a disposition. So, what Tertullian is basically saying here is um, the things that the way people are were talking in conversation they were accustomed uh, to say in disparagement of the Christians that you know why is fill in the blank so deceitful uh, when the Christians are so self-denying uh, why is he merciless when they are so merciful and such and so on uh, it says that they ask in the way of a retort how men who are reputed to be Christians can be of such a disposition. So, in other words, he's showing uh, that because the early Christians were different from the world around them, it meant that the world hated them and thought that they were very peculiar. Now, this is exactly what this, how the scripture said it would be. Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, he said, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. Peter had noted that they think it will, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you and that's first Peter chapter 4 4 one reason the early Christians could emphasize lifestyle over doctrine was because their doctrines were so simple now I, I hinted at this in the beginning but 
here's an example right here of a typical statement of faith from the second century. The rule of faith indeed is altogether one, alone, immovable, and unchangeable. The rule is to believe in only one God Almighty, the creator of the universe, and his son, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, crucified under Pontius Pilate, raised again the third day from the dead, received in the heavens, sitting now at the right hand of the Father, destined to come again to judge the living and the dead through the resurrection of the flesh, end quote. And that was uh, around the year 207, again from Tertullian. And that's literally all you had to believe to be an Orthodox Christian. You were free to believe more if you wanted to. But all you had to believe was what Tertullian said here, which is literally from the apostolic creed um, the creed itself says pretty much word for word what the quote from Tertullian said and again you were free to believe more than that if you wanted to but that was all that was required as far as doctrine goes. That was as much doctrine and theology as the early church was required to have. And it, it's doubtful that the average Christian could go into much detail at all beyond what is written in the creed. Um, Athena Goris uh, wrote in the end of the second century in the year 175 he wrote um, quote among us you will find uneducated persons artisans and old women they may be unable in words to prove the benefit of our doctrine however by their deeds they demonstrate the benefit arising from their accepting its truth. They do not rehearse speeches, but exhibit good works. When struck, they do not strike again. When robbed, they do not go to law. They give to those who ask of them and love their neighbors as themselves." End quote. Mark Felix said this, We don't speak great things. We live them. Those are words to live by as followers of Christ. They really are. Uh, in the early church, orthodoxy didn't normally turn on using this word instead of that word. It just didn't. Um, and that's because they didn't try to define things too precisely and thereby imagine that um, somehow they were improving on the scriptures. Uh, you know, they didn't have all of these different commentaries that gave different 
viewpoints of the scriptures. They didn't have all these... First off, they didn't have the separation of the gospel, meaning the they didn't the church wasn't splintered into countless denominations who all believe different uh, things about what it means to be a Christian. No, they were universal in their beliefs and universal in you know their their being a part of one church, the Church of Jesus Christ. But all of that changed. All of that ended with the Council of Nicaea. And the Council of Nicaea, of course, is where Constantine and the bishops decided to change the basic creed of the church. All of that ended with the change to that creed. The church creed had remained the same and held for almost 300 years and what Constantine and the bishops did is almost it's hard to justify in any way shape or form they they inserted into the creed the word homoousian. Now, I may not be pronouncing that right, but um, <laughs> that it'll be okay. Uh, and that that word in itself literally is what changed. The, the part of the creed, the, the the almost the, the wording of the creed, by changing the wording of the creed, they changed the meaning of the creed. And by entering that Greek word among other things into the creed they were able to justify the uh, different changes to Christianity itself um, there literally to be sure were boundaries to Orthodox Christianity. There's a liberal movement today that tries to say that you could believe whatever you wanted to in the early church, that there was no such thing as Orthodox or heresy, but friends, that is a complete lie. So there definitely was orthodoxy but there was also heretics in the church in the early church but generally speaking there were they were so far from the teachings of the new testament that they were more like a whole new religion than uh an imperfect form of christianity if that makes any sense the 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 heretics 
like the Gnostics and the Ebionites were so far removed from the teachings of the New Testament and the foundations of the faith that they literally were a, a, a new religion, not another sect of Christianity. Now, one of the things about the doctrines of the early church that I've really come to appreciate is their whole approach to doctrine. Okay? Now, of course, their basic position that they were simply teaching what the apostles had handed down to them, but we can we ourselves can come to the same doctrines that they had without ever reading the Antinicene Fathers. We don't have to read any of their writings. Um, we can come to the same uh, beliefs and the same uh, doctrines through reading the New Testament alone. And I said this in the beginning. But we first have to rid ourselves of two of the faulty and harmful methodologies that professing Christians have been using ever since the days of Constantine. And that starts with, number one, ignoring Jesus as the primary teacher of Christianity and instead jumping to one of his disciples or apostles, usually Paul, and elevating that disciple as the great teacher of Christianity. That's what Marcion did. Marcion uh, created a Bible, a so-called Christian Bible, in the second century. I want to say it was around the year 140, 144, something like that. He created, I may be wrong, it could be 114, but in any case, Marcion created um, a, a new uh, Bible that did not have the Old Testament at all, and it only had one gospel. Uh, I saw, actually saw modern Marcionites um, promoting a Bible just like this today, in fact. And they said that it had the gospel of Christ that was written by Paul. Um, although, when I heard David Bersow teach about the uh, Marcionite Bible, uh, he said that it only had the gospel of Luke in it. So, um, you know, I, I'm not sure which gospel it had in it, but it didn't have the Old Testament, and it only had one gospel and a few of the epistles of Paul, and that's it. Um, and that Bible, they used it to create their false doctrinal system from their false religion, and it ignored many of the teachings of Jesus Christ because it didn't have all of the Gospels. Most importantly, it didn't have the Gospel of Matthew, which is the only Gospel that has a Sermon on the Mount. 
and it also uh, it, it held Paul as the, the great teacher of Christianity and it also rejects the father as being the it rejects the God of the Old Testament and says that the God of the Old Testament that's why the Old Testament itself is rejected because it says that um, Jesus came uh, sharing uh, that his father was a different God than the God of the Hebrews that the God of the Hebrews was a false God an evil God and it's this whole dualistic uh, theology. It, even though the modern Marcionites, the modern followers of Marcionism, they deny that Marcion was a Gnostic, but Marcion was a Gnostic. And, you know, there are, is a lot more that I could talk about on that aspect, but in the sake of time, I'm going to stop because we are getting close to uh, the end of our time for tonight. So I am going to uh, go ahead and uh, ask if you guys have any questions. And if you don't, then I will, uh, if you do, I'll answer any questions you have, regardless to what they are. They don't have to be about tonight's program. They can be about the podcast. They can be about the early church. They can be about anything you want to ask. If I know the answer, I'll answer them. If there aren't any questions, then I will continue to finish uh, the teaching on the spirit of early Christianity, and then we'll wrap things up. So, does anybody have any questions? Just type them in the chat. Actually, what we're going to do instead of taking the questions and answers now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and finish the, um, I'm going to go ahead and finish going over this information. I've only got a little bit left to go. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over to Facebook right now. There are some of you watching on Facebook, some of you watching on YouTube. So those of you who are watching on YouTube, go over to Facebook. I'm going to take and I'm going to have a, a watch party on Facebook. And I'm going to uh, have questions and answers then. Um, the video itself, um, you know, it, it, there will be people who haven't watched it live that will come and watch on the watch party. So if you want to, for those of you who have watched live, if you want to wait until the end and just, you know, come in then so you don't have to see all the information over, that's fine. And then I'm going to do the questions and answers. But um, to take up where I left off with... Um, Mar the Marcionites and uh, modern Marcionites. I I'm not going to go over any more of that other than to say the only other 
Um, the only other people who are uh, so-called Christians and so-called Christian leaders who did the same in a lot of ways as Marcion and the Gnostics were um, Martin Luther and John Calvin. Uh, I actually um, heard this from David Bersow and Phil Baker. Um, the way that Martin Luther in the Reformation he wanted to put Paul as the key uh, teacher of Christianity and make the doctrines and theology of the Lutheran church on Paul first, you know, um, only he put the other gospels in the his Bible, but he put his key emphasis on one gospel being the gospel of John, as to where um, Marcion said that he used the uh, well the Marcionite Bible and the the modern day. Um, Marcion Christians and I use that word Christians very loosely again they um, they use the gospel of Luke and well David Berceau like I said earlier said that, that Marcion used the gospel of Luke but the modern day um, so called original Christian Bible doesn't have the gospel of Luke in it. It's got some other gospel that's supposed to be the gospel uh, of Paul. So um, they, they being Luther and Calvin, they used one gospel above the others, or at least Luther did. Um, you know, he put more emphasis on the gospel of John and he, you know, wrote a lot of stuff like, uh, his own commentary, his own, he put it, he added his own doctrinal beliefs to the Word of God in the, like, the marginal notes and stuff, and of course, instead of taking Paul and the rest of the epistles and interpreting them through the lens of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of Christ, they try to interpret Jesus Christ through the lens of Paul. So, modern-day um, Calvinists and modern-day Lutherans um, don't do this as much as the original Lutherans and Calvinists and Luther and Calvin himself, but they do to... Uh, an extent and hyper Calvinist man hyper Calvinism is just as heretical as Gnosticism uh, in my opinion um, but getting away from that and back on to uh, another thing that the modern 
the modern um, uh, so-called Christian um, denominations do. Uh, a, another thing that they do is they will take dispensational uh, denominations are the major ones who do this. They take the teachings of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, like, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount, which was the key teaching of Jesus that the early Christians used to make their, uh, you know, their creed. Also, they they used it to make their uh, belief system. You know, the the uh, the Didache is basically the Sermon on the Mount and the teachings of the apostles. Um, that is what the overall message of the Didache was, or is. And in the one thing that the early Christians did that we need to get back to. And again, this whole message has not been about modeling our Christianity after the early church's Christianity, but rather modeling our walk with Christ, our Christianity, off the teachings of Jesus Christ himself and the teachings of the apostles. So instead of looking at uh, the New Testament as a whole, the way that the early Christians did and the way that we need to today, we need to look at the New Testament as a whole. But instead of doing that, another thing that modern denominations do that they truly should not is... Instead of taking the New Testament, uh, looking at the totality of what uh, the New Testament teaches on a certain subject, they take and they pull out proof texts here and there and explaining away or even ignoring scriptures that don't fit our man-made positions on you know, certain uh, aspects of the faith that we are to adhere to uh, according to Jesus and the apostles. Um, you know, the thing that I call this and that I'm sure you've heard many times from others is cherry picking. They, uh, and I say they, we as the modern day church as a whole cherry pick the scriptures to make our uh, doctrinal systems and our theology. It usually almost always comes from cherry picking or either uh, ignoring or explaining away uh, any of the scriptures that don't fit our man-made positions. So, as I say, on every one of the teachings that I have done about what the early Christians believed and 
how they uh, came to form the apostolic creed and their doctrines and I've said it in this episode is you have to take the totality of what the New Testament says on that subject and then take those verses very seriously and very literally unless the context is obviously not literal and in that case you take the that the meaning of that uh, passage like the, a passage that the context is not literal would be like the um, the different uh, teachings of Christ that were done by parables the different parables of Christ well you can easily come to the conclusion of what Jesus was teaching in those parables and many times he says he explains the parables and so what you do is you take uh, the explanation given by Christ or the meaning of the parable and you take that very seriously and very literally if you do that then you will always end up with what the anti-Nicene Christians believed now I have not found one single exception to that not one and there have been people who have been studying the early church so much longer than I have like Phil Baker um, you know uh, David Bursow and many many others who have yet to find an exception to this either uh, the early church was a very simplistic church in their uh, you know doctrinal statement like the creed you know their so called theology but they were also a very very disciplined church uh, Tertullian said in the year 197 that where the, the fear of God is there is seriousness and honorable and yet thoughtful diligence and anxious carefulness and a well-considered admission to the ministry. There is also a safely guarded communion, promotion to leadership after good service and a scrupulous submission to authority. And there is devout attendance, a modest gate, a united church, and God in all things. End quote. Uh, that was one of the many quotes from Tertullian that I have used in this uh, entire episode. And... I actually have at least one or two more. Um, I always try to use a few New Testament quotes, but, I mean, a few, I didn't mean to say New Testament, a few uh, quotes from the Anti-Nicene Fathers while 
putting a lot more emphasis on what the scriptures say. And I know that I have read a lot of the um, Anti-Nicene Fathers' writings and their quotes today, but that's because I am showing, this whole episode is about the spirit of early Christianity. Another quote in uh, by Tertullian in the year 197 again is says this, it says, Our discipline carries its own evidence in itself. We are not betrayed by anything else than our own goodness, just as bad men also become became, excuse me, conspicuous by their own evil. For what mark do we exhibit except the prime wisdom that teaches us not to worship the frivolous works of the human hand? Our marks are the temperance by which we abstain from other men's goods, the chastity that we do not even pollute with a look, the compassion that prompts us to help the needy, the truth itself which makes us give offense and liberty for which we have even learned to die. Whoever wishes to understand who the Christians are must seek these marks for their discovery, end quote. So this is one place where conventional churches today almost are totally lacking the typical Bible-believing church. Sorry, guys, my son just walked in the room for a second. He opened the door to tell me something. The typical Bible-believing church today exercises no um, church discipline whatsoever. I mean, it, it truly doesn't. Uh, about the only time they ask someone to quit coming is if they are teaching something different than the doctrines the pastor and per, that, than the pastor's teaching and perhaps if they're causing a lot of division in the church but they very very rarely ask people to leave there is no discipline in the church today but but for other things for you know things that will prevent someone from entering into the kingdom of God sorry uh, the camera kind of fell down a little bit and I apologize for the dogs barking in the background but for something that will take someone and cause them to not be able to enter into the kingdom or send someone to hell or even something that will, you know, hinder another believer because of this person. There's... typically nothing said or done about it. I mean, the most prevalent sin in churches today 
is without a doubt adultery. People are living in adultery through divorce and remarriage. There, don't misunderstand or mistake this. If you are divorced for any reason other than the sin of adultery itself and you get remarried, you are living in adultery. And that's neither taught in the church nor is it enforced. Now, you know, evangelical and restoration churches they will almost never, ever do any type of discipline unless, like I said, it is something that is causing division in the church, causing people to leave the church or if somebody is uh, very outspoken against the pastor and what he's teaching and outspoken and teaching doctrines other than what the church adhere to. But again, we really see this throughout all the different denominations. Any of the so-called... Reformation churches or restoration churches or evangelical churches. It's not just the fringe of American Christianity like the NAR, which is the New Apostolic Reformation, or the Word of Faith churches. Um, But you definitely won't see it there. They're not going to discipline anybody. As long as you're given that money, you can stay there, buddy, because that's what the whole of the 501c3 denominational system in America is about, and that is money, finances. Um, You know, almost never do any of the denominations discipline the members of their church who practice adultery. Um, They will typically, even the pastor will typically perform the remarriage ceremony for these people who are divorced and he will, you know, put his stamp of approval on their adultery by, you know, remarrying them. Yeah, as I've already mentioned tonight, uh, the early church strongly, strongly believed in separation from the world and their discipline in the church, the way they disciplined the members of the church helped to maintain this. It kept them being able to remain separate from the world and set apart. You know, uh, but at the same time, the early church was still an imperfect church. I don't want you in any way to get the impression that I am saying that the 
second century church was a perfect church. It wasn't. You know, um, the first three centuries of Christianity were, by, you know, they were by far um, focused on lifestyle rather than doctrine, but they were not perfect. This is evident right in the letters of Paul to the different churches. You know, um, he calls the Galatians foolish. Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? You know, there was certainly not perfection in these churches. Um, we, we can contrast the regular um, orthodox uh, one universal church in early Christianity we can contrast this with the, the Montanist the Montanist were um, a sect that was um, they in my opinion, were far from the Marcionites. I mean, they, they, they were not heretical the way the Marcionites were, but the first century apostolic church was an imperfect church, and the second century Christians, they didn't try to change that. Um, there was a good quote from from origin from the third century in 245 the year 245 AD that where he says some persons desire that before the end of the age and before the angels come to remove the wicked from among the righteous there should not be evil persons of every kind in the dragnet. However, such a person seems not to have understood the scripture, for he desires the impossible. Therefore, let us not be surprised if, before the removing of the wicked from among the righteous by the angels, we see our gatherings filled with wicked persons. Let us hope that those who will be cast into the furnace of fire will not be greater in number than the righteous, end quote. Now, Origen was referring here to Jesus' parable of the dragnet. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when was full it drew to shore or they drew it to shore you have to forgive me I'm paraphrasing but it says and they sat down and gathered all the good into uh, into pots or vessels and that they threw the bad away Jesus said, so it will also be at the end of the age. 
the angels will come forth and they will separate the wicked from the righteous or I think some translations say the wicked from the just and cast them into the furnace of the fire and this parable of Jesus of the dragnet is to have a church without discipline the kingdom of heaven remember folks the kingdom of heaven represents the whole body of believers when you enter into the kingdom of heaven through what Paul explains in John chapter 10 verse 9 when you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead you will be saved or you will enter into the kingdom of heaven you will enter onto the vine well the kingdom of heaven or the vine is um, it's the church you know it's the whole body of believers so when Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea he's not talking about the world he says the kingdom of heaven and remember Jesus taught the two ways and the two kingdoms so he's not talking about the kingdom of darkness here the kingdom of the world he's talking about the kingdom of heaven he says the kingdom of heaven now I know you guys who are familiar with the remnant report and who are familiar with the new podcast uh, return of the historic faith um, have heard me say this before but I want to um, say it for those who are listening for the first time um The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are um, used interchangeably for the body of Christ, for the church, for believers and followers of Christ. So uh, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that gathered some of every kind. So we have people of every kind in the kingdom of heaven who have entered onto the vine but remember Jesus didn't say that if you enter the kingdom of heaven and if you enter into his love that you will uh, be saved for sure that that's all you have to do is just enter into his love and enter into the kingdom of heaven No, we're told to believe and to confess and to enter into the um, cultivated olive tree of um, Israel, you know, the Israel of God. But we are also told that we must abide in his love, that we must obey his commandments, that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. If we abide in him, he will also abide in us. So when this parable of the dragnet says that uh, it will 
be the kingdom of heaven will be full of all kinds of people it's not just talking about uh, different races ethnicity sexes and ages it's talking about that but it's also talking about different kinds of people some who uh, are wicked in their actions by uh, willfully committing sin after which they've seen uh, or received the truth then you know they are no longer um, going to be they're still I guess technically in the kingdom of heaven a compared I mean according to the parable but once the uh, end of the age comes where the angels come forth to separate the wicked from among the just this happens within the kingdom of heaven so those who willfully sinned after they have received the truth you know we are told in uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 10 that there's no more sacrifice for sin therefore if they don't repent then they're going to be cast into the furnace cast into the lake of fire and you know there is really not an excuse we we can't have an excuse to have a church without discipline this this parable that Jesus gives here should show us that if we do not have discipline in the church then the us as leaders in the church are literally we are helping people to be cast into that furnace that's another thing that contributes to people who are unknowingly on their way to the lake of fire while they think they're you know okay they think they're on the way to heaven when in truth they're on the way to hell and false doctrine and and the doctrines of men of all kinds you know all um, take part in causing this the early church the the churches of early Christianity the first century and second century and third century churches were not only a haven for the saints but they were also a hospital for the spiritually lame the the spiritually sick and by this I mean a real hospital today's churches are more like a spa I mean they, they just are uh, they're they're too worried about 
church attendance and the tithing numbers than they are about the souls of men and women. Uh, when I say men, I'm, I mean hum, the human race, human beings. But um, Clement of Alexandria said in the year 195, at the end of the second century, he says this, quote, The physician is not evil to the sick person because he tells him of his fever. For the physician is not the cause of the fever. He only points out the fever. Likewise, he who reproves is not ill disposed towards him who is diseased in soul. For he is not the cause of the transgressions on him. He only reveals the sins that are there. End quote. Uh, that is so very, very true, and yet something that we don't think of when it comes to the spiritual sense. We don't put that in practice in our churches. Uh, the early church they were not worried about people's physical health near as much as they were people's spiritual well-being. Sorry, I'm trying to adjust this camera. It keeps sliding down, so you'll have to forgive me and bear with me. Uh, another quote from Clement of Alexandria says, One must censor Excuse me. If one must censor, it is necessary also to rebuke, for it is not the time to wound the apathetic soul. I do not mean mortally, but salutarily, securing exemption from everlasting death by a little pain. End quote. So, when we create churches today where members can openly violate the specific commandments of Jesus and his apostles and nothing is done when they do this we are very very far from New Testament Christianity from the way the apostles and Jesus Christ himself taught the church to behave, taught the church to deal with sin. We are very, very far from New Testament Christianity when we do these things that ignore the, you know, sins of the members who are openly in violation of Jesus' commandments and teachings, but at the same time, we are also very, very far from the early church and New Testament Christianity when we try to create, you know, perfectionist utopias today, um, or when we as individuals, you know, when we refuse to fellowship with any other Christians 
outside our families or our churches because they don't uh, meet our standards, you know, as if we are anyone to make a ridiculously unchristian judgment like that. You know, we are absolutely to uphold the standards of Christ in all that we do in our lives. But, and we are to be set apart from the world, but at the same time, we can't honor Christ with our mouths and dishonor Him in our deeds. You know, for the past, let's see, since 2019, so 20, 21, 22 almost, I say 22 because it's almost um, a new year, and it was in the beginning of 2019, or around the spring of 2019, when I uh, left the Southern Baptist Church, and during those years, my family and I have been very careful about where we fellowshiped when going and visiting a church or looking for a church in need of a pastor for uh, when I was trying to find a church inside of the denominational system to pastor before I was completely sure what God's will was for me in regards to the ministry when I first left the SBC. But although I have no interest in becoming a part of, you know, a worldly compromising church, at the the same time, we've always been able to go and visit with churches and fellowships and be able to make the distinction between the two. And we've always been able to find a fellowship somewhere that was a lot less compromising than most. And Christ still has his church on this earth. Christ still has a remnant of kingdom Christians on this earth. That I have found without a doubt. You know, uh, there are still plenty of new branches that are growing on his vine. There is something very, very wrong when we come to the conclusion 
that we and our family or we and our church fellowship are the only true Christians on this earth or the only or last true believers and followers of Christ still on this earth. When we do that, we are basically saying that all of those branches on Jesus's vine have been cut off by the Father. And that we and a handful of others are the only ones who is left. That is complete pride. That's no different from the Pharisees. That is complete Phariseeism. You know, Jesus chose to give us an imperfect church. When I say his church, I'm not referring to institutions. I mean, you, you that have listened to me for any length of time know this. I'm talking about all of the people who are branches on the vine of Christ. All of the people around this world. You know, this is one of the big reasons why I truly love the way that Kingdom Christian Assembly isn't only, you know, it's not a, a local group of people, a local group of Christians who come together and meet for worship, but rather it is a body of believers made up of branches on the vine from throughout the kingdom of heaven all over this earth and you know that is to me exactly where we should try to not I want to make sure I say this right I don't want to make it seem like Kingdom Christian Assembly is the only true church um, or, or the only true branch on the vine because that's that's definitely not what I'm saying but I love the way that we bring the different branches together that's one of the reasons why um, I'm so glad that uh the Father called me to this type of ministry, this to create this new type of uh, fellowship of believers. Now, I didn't create it, but what I'm saying is I'm so happy that He led me to this new fellowship of believers, that He created this new fellowship. Um, you know, if, if we are too good for Christ's church, we're too good for his church, then we're too good for Christ. And he doesn't need us on his vine. We would, if we are 
full of pride to where we believe that we're too good for the other branches so much so that we don't even consider them branches then we may just find ourselves being cast into that furnace at the end of the age you know uh the last thing I am going to say is this in the New Testament and in the first and second and even third century the church itself was a unified worldwide church there was only one church in the second century by that I don't mean there were uh, thousands of competing sects, denominations and churches like we have today and that one of those groups claimed to be the one and only church. No, what I'm saying is that all of the tens of thousands of individual congregations around the, the world who held the simple creed that I read to you uh, in the beginning of this episode, they all made up one uh, universal church, one composite church. They were different assemblies and one body, that makes any sense. Now, the only way I'm going to end on this last note, the only way that we in the 21st century will go back to being a universal church, a, um, you know, a unified worldwide body of believers made up of tens of thousands of different congregations, the only way that will happen is if we take our focus off of theology and back and put it back on lifestyle. That's the only way that it'll happen. And friends, you know, I truly, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, take anybody's hope or faith, but that's not going to happen. The church is not going to be, um, one, um, one unified body of believers until we are the bride of Christ until we get to the marriage supper and that's not going to happen until our groom comes for us you know a, a lot of people think that we are already the bride of Christ but we're not we're 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 just the fiance of Christ we're his betrothed, but 
um, as we can see in the parable of the wise virgins, there are going to be some who don't make it to the wedding supper. There will be some inside the kingdom of heaven who end up getting cast out of the wedding. They're not going to be allowed into the wedding and therefore they're going to end up in outer darkness and uh, the lake of fire. So I am going to end um, the uh, program right now, but I'm going to end with a song. We're going to play Phil Baker's War.
live stream and if you're watching the replay please be sure to um, hit the like button and subscribe here on the NCRN YouTube channel and also go to Spotify and be sure to um, follow the return of the historic fate with uh, me and brother Matthew Marcel and also uh, tomorrow is Christmas Eve and I know a lot of you will be gearing up to um, do your different Christmas celebrations and uh, I want to invite you to join me for another live stream I'm gonna be doing another special live stream edition of return of the historic faith to where I'm gonna be covering um, holidays um, the early uh, Christian approach to holidays what holidays did the early Christians um, celebrate what holidays did they not celebrate what traditions started with Rome and what traditions started with the Apostles uh, you know I know that I have done many many episodes on Christmas and Easter and things like that in the past so don't don't miss out on this episode that I'm going to be doing tomorrow just because you may have seen one in the past because I assure you you've never heard me do one like this and I think you'll be surprised at the things I have to say um, because I ever since I have returned to the historic faith of the apostles I've actually changed my opinion on some things and um, like I said, throughout all of this, I have only been um, in a search for the truth. And I only cared about the truth um, so much so that I, you know, had to swallow my pride many times, um, even recently. I would say that my um, opinion has changed on some aspects of the holidays even since October when I last did an episode of the Remnant Report on uh, holidays so I want to invite you to go over to Facebook now uh, as we have the watch party and the questions and answers but also I want to invite you to watch tomorrow night don't um, don't think you know what I'm gonna say and then not watch it. It doesn't matter if you're for or against Christmas. I assure you that I will only be sharing the truth. I'm not gonna be sharing any uh, opinions at all. I'm not gonna be sharing any uh, opinions as to whether or or where the different traditions of Christmas are celebrated. I, I'm not going to be giving you my opinion on whether you should or shouldn't celebrate Christmas or um, any of the other holidays. That's not what tomorrow's episode is about. It's only going to be about um, holidays in regards to 
the early Antinicene church. Um, because again, this is return of the historic faith. So, you know, with that, we're going to end this program. And so for the Next Chapter Radio Network and Return of the Historic Faith, I am Pastor Jeremy Anderson saying good night, grace, and peace.